Welcome to World is Cool. This week, I chat with Nicole Sedlacek. Nicole is a mom and economic developer, a business owner, and a lifelong resident of Northeast Nebraska. Nicole shares with us the high school experiences that made her realize her calling was to serve her community. She also shares how she fell in love with economic development and the joys and struggles of being a business owner. If you enjoy our conversation, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. All right. Well, hello, Nicole. How are you doing today? I'm good, Mike. Thank you. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for carving some time out. I know that you are a super busy girl. I'm excited to to spend the next several minutes with you, just <laughs> chatting it up. And I uh, love listening to your podcast. I, I think what you're doing with your podcast is just fantastic. And I, I love listening to the different guests that you bring in. So I kind of feel quite honored that you brought me in today. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I, I wanted to have you on. Um, you are a lifelong resident of Northeast Nebraska. Um, you've seen lots of change over the years. You've been involved in a lot of that change. Um, as an economic developer, and you're a mom, and I don't know if it's most recently, but a, a business owner as well. So why don't you kind of introduce yourself and, and kind of catch us up? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, I am a lifelong resident of, of Northeast Nebraska. So I was actually born in O'Neill, attended grade school, junior high in O'Neill, uh, some family situation had me um, traveling north up to Boyd County and, and ultimately ended up graduating from Spencer Neighbor High School. Went off to college at Northeast Community College. Always thought I would, I always had a goal and a vision and a dream of returning back to my hometown. Uh, I actually thought I would be writing news stories for the local newspaper. Uh, so I studied journalism at Northeast Community College. And it was while I was at, at Northeast that I learned about an opportunity uh, at the local radio station, KBRX in O'Neill, that, that allowed me the opportunity to come back to O'Neill, uh, still attend college, uh, but then also do that journalism work, but really on, on the radio. And so I uh, was able to get super involved in the community while working at, at KBRX and kind of really fell into. Uh, the economic development profession. Uh, so it was, it wasn't something, like I said, I thought I wanted to study, I did want to study journalism, thought I would be writing stories about the people and the events and, and the news happening in our communities, um, but did something completely different, but really ties into uh, the, the work in, in a community and, and what all entails in, in a community. So that's how I kind of fell into economic development, but I'm also a, a mom of two teenage daughters, uh, which is always fun. Uh, <laughs> every stage that they've been in, I've, I've said, has been a, a fun stage. Um, the teenage years is, is no exception. It just poses a, a couple new challenges, <laughs> um, but super, super fun. And uh, also a, a wife. Uh, my husband and I have been married 18 years. And uh, our family also owns a Joy Boutique, so a small uh, clothing boutique in, in downtown O'Neill. And we, we've just had that for not quite a year. So we have been learning a lot about the joys of, of business ownership. <laughs> uh, you you uh, opened that at a very precarious time. We did. Yes. I, 
yes, uh, we opened it up in the middle of a global pandemic, <laughs> but really saw a unique opportunity uh, working in economic development for um, all the years that I have. So I officially started working in economic development in 2007 is when I became a, a paid professional. <laughs> um, so I've been working in the field for, for 14-ish years and have always been talking to others about investing their dollars in our communities and, and buying businesses and in bringing their business and investment uh, to our communities. And so this opportunity presented itself. I, I've always wanted to introduce my, my girls to um, that entrepreneurship, that, that business experience. My husband wasn't sold on the idea at first. <laughs> I was super crazy. Um, and it was a scary time. I mean, it, we were seeing, you know, Nebraska was very fortunate. We didn't have quite the shutdowns that other small businesses had across the country, but uh, people were just, you know, careful with their, their shopping habits, you know, just where they were going, their, their purchasing. Um, but it was a, an opportunity that I saw and really walk that, that talk of, of promoting entrepreneurship and investing in our communities. I've, I've invested time. Um, I, I feel like some of my, my talents that I've given towards organizations, um, but this was a way for us to really kind of invest money in, in a bricks and mortar type business. So do you have employees then, or, cause I know that, that you know, you have a full-time job. Um, not that being a mom isn't also a full-time job and a wife is a full, you know, how do you manage the, the business side of it while you're not there? So I, I'm very blessed and fortunate that really since we took it over, we've had a, a great team that's been able to help us at, at the store during, especially during the week. Uh, right now we have a, a creative manager uh, who is also kind of following her own dreams with her own entrepreneurial uh, dreams. So Jessica Schlunz has you and me at home, which is a, a home decor uh, business. And so uh, we partnered up this spring uh, and she handles a lot of our daytime hours. Um, we do the, it's, it's been a really great partnership with, with both of us, you know, kind of learning and navigating this business ownership piece together That's with our all, own separate businesses. It's always good to have someone in the know to celebrate your struggles with and celebrate your wins. Absolutely. Yes. I say this a lot, probably when I talk about boutique, but it's really been a joy. <laughs> so <laughs> what has been the biggest challenge for you as a new business owner? I think those challenges have been just the, the timing of, of how we purchased it. You know, I, you know, even though I was, I was pretty excited and, and confident in where maybe we could go with the business, but just the uncertainty as, as we took over, we were starting to see those COVID numbers increase. <laughs> and, and so there was just that, that fear that maybe this isn't the right time. And, and then you kind of have those second guesses and thoughts on what you just did <laughs> with purchasing a business. The oh um, shit moment. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I would call it that as, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> um, so there was just some of that in, in the beginning. Uh, I think uh, some of the other 
challenges. Well, right now we've got a road construction project right in front of right, us. Right. That is a bit crazy. And uh, we still have several months of that in front of us. And so we get through a pandemic. Let's just then throw a construction project right out in front that takes all of your parking. Uh, but we it, it'll be okay. Get these big challenges out of the way now and then it'll all be gravy, right? It, it has to be, right? <laughs> it has. But then I think just, you know, another one of those challenges, and I think all businesses are facing it, are just those supply chain challenges we're seeing in every single industry. You know, ordering clothing pieces, you know, you, you try to order ahead to kind of have your merchandise there for the appropriate seasons. And unfortunately, you know, whether it was because of, of COVID at first, uh, but then I think we have some material challenges that's posing some issues. We're still seeing some backlog with just merchandise getting to us in a, in a timely manner. And so it can be hard to manage and, and balance, you know, especially if you're trying to really watch how much you spend for bringing right. in inventory and if you think it's going to be there, but then it's still taking three months to longer to get to you. I had to order to make up for that. That's a, a unique thing that that's a unique challenge that I maybe hadn't thought of is, is you don't order swimsuits in the spring. You probably order, you know, or, or tank tops or you order that stuff during the winter to get there. Yeah. So I, I let my daughter talk me into carrying swimsuits <laughs> this, <laughs> this season at the store. And so we did purchase those January, February-ish. And so I was really starting to panic when it's May and they're still not there. It's the end of May. And then we did get some of them before the weather got warm. And so we are, but we're still waiting on, on a shipment of swimsuits and it's almost, you know, it's mid July. So it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? <laughs> right. That, you know, when you hear about supply chain stuff and, and, you know, the car cars aren't getting manufactured because there's microchip shortages. I, I never gave it a thought about things like weather specific clothing and that challenge. It's, you know, and I, I, I'm just hearing more and more, you know, I think every day I hear something, some sort of supply chain challenge um, in so many industries. I think that, that we're kind of at a, a, a juxtaposition that things are just going it, to, it's going to shift, things will catch up. But I think there's going to be some big changes in the way labor is handled and, and um, the approach to employees and things like that. And you know, that, that's one thing I think where we're at we're uniquely positioned to handle most of our employers already pay over minimum wage because they're, they're competing with a finite number of employees. You know, Nebraska has either the lowest or one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country and always has even through the pandemic. So we're at a unique position to handle all that as, as it rolls through. It's a very interesting time. Yes. With the the low unemployment, um, but just the high number of jobs that are, are available. You know, I think we have a very high labor participation rate in Nebraska, which speaks well of us. But I do think, you know, and just those supply chain challenges, whether it's labor related or it's, you know, a component for a manufacturer not getting what they need, and it just creates this bottleneck. I, I do think there's some unique opportunities for our communities to really, you know, because of, of COVID and, and that, that the safety net that we had here, you know, the wide open spaces, the, 
you know, the smaller population, I think that's going to be well and great for, for people wanting that sense of safety and security that maybe we're living in the city that want to come here. And I think businesses, you know, it used to be that businesses could go wherever they want and the people would follow those businesses for those jobs. And, and that has flipped really completely that it's the businesses going to where the, the people are. You know, my, my dad and I have had an argument for 40 years on whether you build houses for people and then the businesses come, or if you have businesses and then you develop housing around that. And finally, a year or two ago, I finally caved and I'm like, you know, you have to have houses because the businesses will go where there's employees. And, and I think that, that, like you said, rural Nebraska is uniquely poised to take that influx. If we can keep up on the housing side of it, I, th- I think that we can certainly take that influx of businesses and people that might want to migrate from the cities to a, a smaller, more laid back environment. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, you're a great testament to, you know, moving back from the city to, to rural Nebraska. And I, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot more of that. So how does being a business owner affect you in your economic development role? So you do economic development for Nebraska Public Power, which is not a small company. It, it's the electric grid for the state of Nebraska, correct? Most of Nebraska. So we cover um, all or parts of 86 of Nebraska's 93 counties. So pretty, pretty significant portion. Yes. You have your business lessons and how do you pass that on to the people who approach you about um, where to place their business, how to handle some of these things? So I think it allows me, um, you know, to have that, that real world experience to know really kind of when when they're expressing what their needs are or what their business needs to be successful, either from a a workforce perspective, what they need from a a type of employee and their skill set to understanding what their building needs are for land and and utility needs. I think I'm I'm still so new. Our family is still so new in this business ownership (laughs) role. (laughs) Uh, I'd say it gives me just a understand more and and feel what they're feeling as they're thinking about a business investment and expanding their operations and kind of what's on their radar what's maybe keeping them up at night worrying about their business that it it just now I know what what some of those things can be to keep you up at night. <laughs> it, it it reminds me of the the line from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, where the dad says to to Scout, you know, you have to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. That's literally what you're doing, and and it's kind of neat to see that happening alongside of of you're growing as you're helping these businesses grow, and you are getting to bring your experiences and and your life lessons now with with being an entrepreneur into helping those people who you are getting paid to help. And and that's kind of a fun, unique position to be in. So what made you decide, you had said in the beginning that you wanted to come back home after college and be a part of your, your community. What made you want that rather than to go out and and conquer the world or, or. I, 
truly believe that I was exposed to so many things in, in high school that allowed me to just see kind of the inner workings of a community and what it takes. And I was very fortunate in high school while at Spencer Neighbor High uh, that I was involved in committee to help save our swimming pool up there. And so I was able to kind of see, you know, from a, a city government, village government perspective, what it, what that aspect of it is, but then how important that pool is in the summertime to the community. And so I was involved in, in a committee to really help kind of spearhead a, a sales tax, essentially to, to help save that, that pool. So I was introduced in a little that way, Nebraska at one time had a what's called a Nebraska Community Improvement Program um, that was through the State Department of Economic Development. And as again, as a high school student, I was asked to be part of this committee to help welcome the judges, to have a conversation with the judges that were that they were taking a look at the community as a um, for the different projects that were submitted. And so I was exposed in that way. I also, this is kind of fun, kind of, you know, I, I reflect back on this often, but again, in high school, I, I had uh, my high school English and government teacher, Mr. Jim Hyatt, uh, his wife worked in econ economic development, and I was able to attend the ribbon cutting of the wind turbines in Springview. <laughs> and so I had all of these different exposures to community and, and economic development. And, and so they've always kind of just stuck with me and kind of performed, you know, I think who maybe who I am today and just seeing how the how a community operates and, and how it really takes the the residents of a community and invested and interested individuals to that live there and sleep there and work there to really make a difference in their community and and I didn't mention this but I was also involved in the the community foundation at Spencer when that was really just getting started on on the Nebraska scene and so I had just all these different exposures that really helped kind of prepare me for economic development. So, so what you're saying is you haven't had any free time since elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I think that is fascinating. And I wonder how we as members of our involved members of our communities, cause, cause I am also very involved in, in my community, how we can, take those experiences and pass them on to the new generation, right? So in order to keep our rural communities alive, we need to keep young families. We need the kids to go away to college, get some life experience, then come back, get married, have kids and grow our community, right? So how can we take those experiences and, and get them, get the kids now involved? It seems like kids now are involved in so many things that they wouldn't have time for something like that. You know, and that is, that is hard because kids are, are so busy. And I, and I think it's taking a look at, at maybe what they're already involved and busy with and just kind of incorporating that that somehow. So, you know, maybe it's the FFA organization, or maybe it's even the, the basketball team or the football team, you know, I think somehow getting them involved in some community aspect and, and really 
not asking them just to come clean up or set up or tear <laughs> down or whatever it is, but where they can really feel like they're making a difference in the future work of the community. I think that's, I think that's why maybe at all, all that experience that I've had made me kind of, you know, think this is long-term future stuff in a lot of ways. And so I think if we can invite them to participate, and again, I'm going to stress it again, invite them to participate in more ways than just cleaning up something, <laughs> um, but really kind of thinking future impact of the community. But then when they do come back and they, they do want to get involved, I think this is sometimes where I was probably really super excited, gung-ho, was going to change the world, <laughs> was going to really change the community. And, and maybe my approach could have been just a little too much for some people. And, 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 and especially for, for leaders who, you know, have, have been in their roles for a long time. And so I had a lot to learn, you know, about myself, just about the history of the community, you know, even though I lived in this area my whole life, just understanding and respecting the, the history and, and how we got to where we are aspect of it. I, I think there's this delicate dance that from, you know, the young people who are coming and wanting to return and make a difference and get involved to, you know, what could be called the old guard of, of standing strong and not, you know, we tried that 20 years ago. It didn't work. Why would we try it now type of approach? There's got to be this there's got to be this dance of, of really listening to each other and working with each other to, to help both generations. I, I have that same personality that, that I was going to come back and just fix all the problems, right? And I've learned that even though a lot of people don't like my ideas because they're, you know, maybe quote unquote city ideas, it sparks the conversation. It starts the thinking process. And maybe my idea is a, is a crappy idea, but it gives somebody else the permission to voice their idea as well. So I, I think it's important to have those big personalities that want to change everything because a lot of it probably does need to be changed. You know, I can think back to, to some things that that... When I came home, I'm like, we still do that that way. I was just talking to somebody the other day and we we're talking about how people get into like city council and stuff. And then they're just there forever. Our mayor, the, the chairperson of our board, of our village board, which we call the mayor, was the same guy when I was born until last year. As long as I can remember. Now, there, there might have been other chair people in the mix somewhere. But when I graduated high school, my entire childhood, I know he was the mayor. And then when I came back, he was still the mayor. Um, and I was gone for 20 years. So there is something to be said about wanting to come in and, and mix things up and change things. But I do agree that it's a delicate dance between, because you have to have the buy-in, right? You, you, you only have so much energy and so much time to commit to a project that you need the buy-in of the people who you are trying to change things for. And, and I think, you know, for, for the types of, of personalities that really want to share their ideas, you have to create that, that openness in a community to be able to, to listen and, and hear those ideas and, and what's being said. Like you said, you know, 
you don't have to like my idea, but just creating that environment where, where we feel open enough to share it. And that I think is what, you know, all communities need is just that, that openness to listen and to hear ideas. And I, I, I 110% agree. And, and I think that that, that is how our rural communities are going to keep going. Your community is, is what, about 3,000 people? 3,700. 3,700. My community is 400. I think I read somewhere on census.gov, they, they think it's going to be like 500 when the census comes in. But that's the biggest my hometown's been since the, the mid-1900s, right? You'll need to celebrate that. If that, I mean, celebrate well, that population increase. <laughs> that's a right. big Right. Well, and, and, you know, the, the crazy part is we don't have more houses. We, we were looking at, uh, so I'm, I'm working on starting up an investment club where we all just write a check out once a month for, for a little bit of money. But if you get a lot of people putting in a little bit of money, you can do a lot of things, right? And one of our first goals is, is housing. So we were looking back at an old housing study from 2016 and it said, by 2025, we needed to build something like 20 houses. So I'm sitting with this group of, of 12 people and, and you know, kind of coming up with the, the, the baseline for this club. And we're like, so how many houses have been built since this study was done? And we're like, well, there's that one. Then there's a long pause. And they're like, what year was so-and-so's house built? Does that fit it? And of the 20 some houses that needed to be built in the last now six years, two have been built. Yet our population appears to be growing. So that definitely gives hope for new houses and new businesses and, and the continued survival of our small town. As to you for starting an investment group and to having interested individuals wanting to to do that, but I we'll see. I, Let, let's revisit that in a year. <laughs> okay. Well, having the conversation that it's that again, it's it's up to the people that that live and work and have businesses there to to really make a difference in, in the communities and and kudos to you yeah, all for doing that. I had seen so I had been wanting to have this conversation with, with we started having these conversations with the community for a long time. And then I saw a cartoon on Facebook of all places. Um, I'm, I'm a 90 year old woman. Now I get my news from Facebook. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> but uh, it said, you know, in one corner, it said the government's going to save us. And then somebody's like, no, it's not. And then the next corner was, uh, well, I'll save us. And they're like, well, no, you won't. And then the, the, the bottom piece was the community will save us. And I, I think that that really struck home that there no one of us can do it on our own and there's no free government money. No. Not for a lot of these things. Now, now there are things for, you know, there's egg programs and there's business expansion programs and there's, but for the things that our rural communities need, it either costs us too much to get that money or it's just not there. But in, in, so, so I kind of want to talk about what you've done for the city of O'Neill. You were one of the first economic developers when it became Holt County Economic Development. Holt County Economic Development has done some pretty big things. Kind of talk about some of the wins that you've had. Sure. 
So yes, County Economic Development was created uh, officially in 2007, uh, and I was hired on as their director at the time. And, you know, we, we saw a lot of growth in just what the organization was going to be. So when, when we first started the organization, there was really a focus on, on really kind of building community and, and focusing on kind of just building community within our own county. And so we had seen uh, some, some great work uh, between Stuart and Atkinson kind of working together on a leadership program. O'Neill had been invited over to that to participate. And then it kind of snowballed countywide and, and ultimately led to the economic development program. Um, but just really kind of starting with building community and, and, and talking to the communities about kind of the, the future of the, the county and kind of all working together. We also had a really specific focus early on, on, on really kind of on four key areas, you could say. So there was kind of the entrepreneurship and, and business development aspect. That was one of our, our priorities. Another priority was youth attraction and retention. And so sharing the message of Polk County with the youth that were in our, in our schools, um, but then also reaching out to alumni uh, to invite them to come back home. Another, the third pillar was, was leadership and, and really focusing and concentrating hard on, on building the next generation of leaders in Holt County. And so the, the hometown Holt County Leadership Institute program was, was developed to, to really help build that next generation of leaders. So helping them kind of learn about different aspects of the, the county, whether it was kind of the education sector, agriculture, healthcare, economic development, but then also kind of building their own personal development, personal leadership skills um, to have that confidence to, to maybe volunteer to help in an organization or officially running for a, a public office and um, because we, we know we need more leaders to, to really step up in our communities. So that was that was the third key area. And then the fourth one was just on on charitable assets and working to help kind of tell the story, but then also work on the local level from a community foundation perspective on on helping to capture some of that wealth transfer that our county was going to be seeing, you know, as, as our population gets older and, and people, the family members have moved away. And as people pass, pass away, you know, that generation, that wealth leaves the, the county. And so how can we capture a, a percent of that, that could help stay in the county um, that could be here, you know, for, for future projects. And so the early days of Bolt County Economic Development is really focused on, on those four key areas. I really thought uh, when I started that I would be doing a lot of the business development and entrepreneurship piece. And, and yes, definitely was, but that was when we were starting to see some of those, those labor and workforce challenges. And so, you know, just hearing from employers that I need people to fill my jobs. <laughs> and, and so it really became known to us, like we need to help businesses fill their jobs that they have. If they can't fill the jobs that they have now, how, how, why would they want to ever expand or, or how could they ever expand without people to, to get out their product or, you know, 
with their services. And so there was there was that that job workforce kind of connection piece to it. We've also seen a lot of opportunity with the local option municipal economic development program or what's commonly known as LB840. And so we the city of Atkinson had that program already, but the city of O'Neill didn't. And so working through that to kind of, you know, first it was, you know, getting an a feedback from the businesses. Would you support a, a sales tax that would help support economic development? And so once we kind of knew if, if the business community would be supportive of it, then we thought, okay, we could take this issue to the voters and and put it in the voters' hands to see, like, does this make sense for our community? And, and right. so that program has been just so beneficial for the community from a, a, a business attraction, business expansion, but then also helping to help, you know, pass those businesses on to the next generation of, of owners. So that business um, transfer type perspective. And then also we have it, the program is also good for property improvement. So we've been seeing a lot of new signage or facade improvements, especially in our downtown area, that's all been made possible because of that, that program. So you've done a lot on the local level and then on the county level, you skipped the regional level and went straight to the state level. So what are some of the projects at the state level that you've worked on? Because I, I know that that's your resource for NPPD communities, communities who, who get their power through NPPD. So what are some of those projects that you've been involved in? Yeah, so um, it's it's been, I've been with the, the district uh, just a little over five years and have um, been involved in, in a number of different things. Uh, so whether I'm working with the local economic developer or someone at the city in those communities, um, and doing business retention and expansion visits. And so talking to the companies that are already there and, and finding out, you know, what are their expansion plans? What, what are their needs? And, and how can we help connect them to, to different programs and, and resources to help kind of grow their business or help solve some of the challenges that, that they have? I've been involved in a number of, of strategic planning sessions in, in a number of communities across the state. It's always really fun for me to help kind of talk to communities or facilitate that conversation. Um, I'm just that facilitator, just getting them talking about the future of their community and, and what they, they see. And so I love planning sessions that where the community members really get to talk about the future of their, their community. It sounds like I'm all over the board here with helping with business retention and expansion visits, <laughs> planning, um, but from a, a business attraction perspective, um, also been involved, kind of helped lead our, our data center efforts at, at NPPD. And so um, understanding what are the needs the data center industry has, because as you know, they, they probably use a lot of power being up, needing to operate 24-7. And so understanding their needs and helping to kind of connect them to the, the sites or buildings, if, if appropriate, um, that may make sense for their operations. When I first started in the as the data center lead for the district, it's very different than, than what it maybe looks like today. So interestingly enough, we've kind of seen this crazy activity around cryptocurrency. 
uh, and and the mining of cryptocurrency. And so those are, are technically data centers. And so we've seen just a lot of activity in that space. And it's, it's an interesting, fascinating industry um, from my perspective. So there's, there's still a lot of concerns, a lot of unknowns, yep. but it's, it's a fascinating space to me right now. You are very diverse in your, your experience. You know, we, we start out talking about your clothing boutique and we are to cryptocurrency. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. It's crazy because economic development really is all of that um, and everything in between. You know, for, for my community, it is beautification. It's downtown revitalization. It's business attraction. It's starting to think about programs to, to get people moving back. It's housing. It's, you know, it, it really is that whole gamut. Absolutely. Economic so, development is, you know, so many different things to so many people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, big world. <laughs> I always like to, to kind of end on, on a piece of advice. So if you were going to give a piece of advice to somebody who, was maybe going to start a business in, in a rural community um, or wanted to, to grow their business into a rural community as not only an economic developer, but as an entrepreneur yourself. What's that thing that you didn't know that you wish you would have known? Well, I, I don't know if I didn't know this, but sometimes think, oh, I can do everything. <laughs> but I, I think really knowing yourself and knowing where what your strengths are, but then also being aware of, of what are those blind spots that you have or, or your weaknesses and really finding those people that can help you with that. You know, so in the example of, of our boutique, you know, I'm I'm I feel like I'm really good from an organizational perspective of, of the books, the bookkeeping, the accounting, you know, it's it's that creative aspect part to me that the creative and, and maybe the social media aspect of it for me that I'm, I'm really weak in. And so trying to find that complimentary partner to, to help kind of fill that gap that I, I can't do everything. And so just, just being aware of that and, and it's, you know, really let your strengths really go. Like, I mean, let them shine, let them be sharp points for you. And, and really kind of manage your, your blind spots or your weaknesses by, by bringing in people to, to help you. That if you aren't good in that bookkeeping accounting perspective, like find someone who is and, and can really help you in that spot. Or in my case, like I really needed help in that, that creative piece. And um, I've been blessed with a, a, a daughter who, who loves TikTok videos. And uh, Jessica, who's with us, you know, she's really great at Instagram and I don't even know how to use Instagram very well. <laughs> so it's just finding those, those people that can, that can really help build a team to what you're, what you're doing. So I, I think that is um, amazing advice. And, and I want to thank you for your time. I know, you know, clearly you are a busy girl. So uh, carving out a little bit of time for me in the afternoon, I, I certainly appreciate this has been so much fun. It's always fun talking to you, Mike. And again, thank you for, for asking me to, to be a guest. You have a great podcast, so thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Rural is Cool. 
there are many more great conversations to come. Hitting the subscribe or follow button will help make sure you don't miss any. If there's someone you think I should talk to, send me an email at ruraliscoolpod at gmail.com. I truly enjoy meeting rural people and helping tell their stories. This episode was produced by Brian Ferris. The artwork is by Casey Schott. Do me a favor and be sure to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Until next time, remember, rural is cool.